You're listening to the Flow Theory Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Wade Peary, and boy, oh boy, am I fired up to introduce our next guest, a Virginia Cavalier football legend who happens to be one of the most complete receivers in Virginia football history. Not only could this man catch the rock, but he is one of the best blocking receivers in Virginia football history. During his Virginia football career, Chris hauled in 162 catches for 2,190 yards and nine touchdowns. His 162 catches put him sixth currently in Virginia football history, and his 2,190 receiving yards put him fifth currently in Virginia football history. Ladies and gentlemen, let's please welcome the man that cemented himself in the hearts and minds of Virginia Cavalier football fans forever. Thanks a lot for coming on the show, Chris. No, thanks for having me, Wade. It's a pleasure to be here, man. I'm glad to uh, have a good, have a great little sit down with you. Yeah, man. Um, really excited that you could come on, man. I, I always loved watching you rock the visor for the Who's. It was always uh, a classic look that yeah, uh, you rocked, man. It was uh, swag for days, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in you look good, you play good. You know what I mean? So I made sure I. I came dressed ready to play um, and brought that swag to the field. That's for certain. Yeah, I agree, man. Chris, one of the biggest things about this podcast, I like talking to all the guys about their moments of flow and being in the zone. I know how Mike Vick in his 30 for 30, he talked about the moment when um, everything was moving in slow motion for him, even though the players were running at full speed. Was there ever any sort of, can you describe any sort of moments throughout your football career for us that you had like that, either at Virginia or high school? Yeah, no, I've I definitely had, uh, I've been fortunate enough to have some of those moments uh, during my playing career. I think, um, you know, one of the first moments I had was in the 10th grade um, and really kind of let me know, like, man, I'm actually, uh, you know, I'm actually, you know, pretty, pretty solid when it comes to, you know, just playing receiver. That was my first game really at receiver. Um, and I had an explosive game. But then in college, ironically enough, it was, uh, you know, my last game in the Chick-fil-A Bowl 2012 against Auburn. Um, I think, you know, for me, even though I didn't finish the game because I had a broken collarbone, um, that was probably the most slow I've had, you know, and really just feeling like I was, you know, unguardable and they really didn't have an answer and it was going to be, you know, a career day. So, you know, I, I think, you know, for me, being in the zone is really just mentally understanding, like, you know, whatever they throw at you from a matchup standpoint, they really don't have a chance. And uh, I was I was fortunate enough to be in that situation. So, you know, it's uh, it, I'm sure all athletes have that same experience. So I just was lucky to get it a couple of times. <laughs> Dude, it's funny that you mentioned the Chick-fil-A game versus Auburn. I'll, I want to talk about that game for a number of reasons, but – Man, I just rewatched that epic dime that Mike Rocco threw to you in the back of the end zone. 
like to put Virginia up seven to nothing in that game. Walk me through that catch because that was an absolutely awesome play. <laughs> no, I appreciate it, Wade. I think, you know, for me, um, you know, we had been game planning that uh, that play call, you know, for the duration of both practice. And, you know, Coach Laser, who was the offensive coordinator for us at the time, you know, really was big on having shot plays, you know, to call in, on, on different places in the field. And uh, we have been working that for probably a month at that point. Um, and we got the look that we needed to see. You know, the safety played a little low um, in the cover four uh, coverage. The safety was a little low, so I made sure I gave, you know, the cornerback a good outside stick. And, you know, as you mentioned before, man, it was it was a perfect ball. And for me, it was more, you know, securing the catch through the, you know, through the dive because, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was, was not catch it. So I made sure that, you know, I brought it home. And, you know, fortunately, it was a, you know, a good kind of launch point for us during that game and, and really set the momentum early. You know, that game, the atmosphere leading up to that game, Chris, I, I've been a Virginia fan since I was seven years old. I'm 36 now, but I have to admit that atmosphere before the Chick-fil-A bowl game to this day, Chris, was the best I have ever seen in my life out of any Virginia fan base. Like literally, I was staying in the downtown uh, the Marriott Marquis in downtown Atlanta. And I will just never forget all of our fans days before the game were chanting, let's go Wahoos in the, in the lobby. And they were high-fiving us on the escalator. I was like, this is what I'm talking about, people. Yeah. There you go. And I think, you know, good, you know, fortunately we got some good leadership with, with Mendenhall and, you know, a good group of players. So I think it's only going to build from here. You know, I was, uh, you know, I, I, I witnessed, you know, my first year was coming in 07 um, when we had our trip to the Gator Bowl. You know, so I witnessed, you know, some of our glory days as far as recent history. Um, and then some of the rough patches, you know, where we only won three or four games. Um, and then saw what it took what it took to, you know, rebuild under London um, and get us back into a winning program. So I, I've seen a little bit of everything when it came to UBA football, but I'm glad that uh, I'm glad we – you know, we as a team could uh, to create to create that type of environment, but obviously we can't do it without the fans. Yeah, I'm convinced, Chris. There's something about our fans in Atlanta. I don't know what it is, man, but those fans are like the most diehard Virginia football fans that I've ever been around. Like, I was just I wanted to be like, man, we need to bring you guys to Scott Stadium every weekend because, <laughs> God, they were just the passion and the energy for Virginia football to this day. I mean, that trip, I talked to so many other Virginia fans and it was, you know, it, it sucks. We didn't win the game, but uh, the atmosphere and everything, just being in that game and like that stadium was just electric, man. I'll, I'll never forget it. And all of our fans, it just, it, it just brings back a lot of good memories for me. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to talk to you about your high school recruitment, Chris. I'm always fascinated with the high school recruitment process and, uh, you know, how guys go through it. I know you're from Richmond area and you only had a couple offers coming out of high school. My question for you is, were you just Virginia the whole way or, um, you know, what, uh, just walk me through your recruitment process a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, for me, you know, one of the main things I wanted to do, you know, with the, a college that I chose, 
um, was, was stay pretty local, uh, you know, to Virginia. Um, so early in the, in the recruiting game, I narrowed it down to Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Maryland. Um, and my history, Matoka High School down in Chesterfield County, um, you know, James Ferrier went to my high school, Byron Sweet went to my high school, uh, who both ended up playing ball at UVA and, and playing professionally. Oh, yeah, those guys are legends, man. Both in the NFL and in NFL Europe. You know, so, so for me, my first game, I think I went, not even on an official visit, was in the tenth grade after my tenth grade season when when they played Florida State at home, uh, when Marcus Higgins was the quarterback and they and they had a big upset there. Um, so for me, that was my first college, you know, real Power Five college football game that I went to out in the tenth grade. So I already had somewhat of a, you know, a, a, I guess a biased opinion of where I wanted to go play football, just because that environment was, you know, as you mentioned, I don't think, you know, I don't think there's many places that have fans, you know, like. UVA does and you know it was it was definitely one of those things I'll never forget um but you know it, it, it came down to you know I did a visit out to Virginia Tech um Maryland as well and you know at the time you know Maryland uh you know I wanted to I wanted to wear Nike gear you know I had been wearing it off to high school and Maryland was you know still is heavy in Under Armour um so I was like nah I don't think I can make that transition <laughs> you know, so you know they kind of narrowed them out to Virginia, Virginia Tech and you know, I definitely felt more at home at, at UVA and had a better relationship with the coaches and, you know, had some conversation with the incoming class as well. So I felt like it was definitely um, the right fit. And I definitely don't regret, you know, anything in the process because, you know, they definitely made sure that, you know, everything was smooth. And, you know, as far as bringing it to the family, I think my class was, um, you know, pretty welcome when they, when we arrived. So it was all a good, uh, a, a great a great experience of it. Yeah, you know, I remember your recruitment pretty vividly, actually. I just remember Mike Groh absolutely loved you. He mentioned you a lot, and there were just, there were a ton of articles on you on the Virginia recruiting websites because it just, it felt like there was a pretty good chance you were coming to UVA all along, and uh, we were all just really excited to get you because I just remember following your career and everything, and Mike Groh just gushed about it. I mean, I, I remember how I feel like Mike Grove spent a lot of time recruiting you. Is that true? Was he your main recruiter? Yeah, yeah, he was my main recruiter. And you know, shout out to Mike Grove. I think you know from a uh, you know really just shooting it to you straight, um, let you know what some of the expectations are, what they expect from you, you know, as a player on the team and in the classroom. I think he made it very clear. Um, and for me, you know, it was it was an honor number one because I had went to a uh, a camp at UVA that summer before my senior year. Um, and got a chance to, you know, just mix and mingle with some of the, the staff, not in a, you know, in a visit or next level conversation, but just be around the program and see how things were operating. I um, ended up winning the MVP if they can. I had definitely been one that, you know, I was, I was, I'm not gonna lie, they would have, they would have out front favorites and nobody really met that type of, uh, that type of feel. Um, and just program was going, I saw a trajectory arc. No, that I really wanted to be a part of. Yeah, you know, one game that I'm I really want to talk about the 2011 FSU game, Chris. That was a fascinating game for a number of reasons. Oh yeah, Florida State was number 25 in the country. We had never Virginia had never beaten Florida State until this game, and the game was such an emotional roller coaster, dude. I almost had a freaking stroke after this game, like, <laughs> dude. 
me and me and my dad were watching that game at home, and it was just so nuts because we stopped him on fourth down. Then we had the face mask penalty, and then yeah. Dustin Hopkins, who is one of the, was one of the most reliable kickers in all of college football at the time. I was just like, "There's no fucking way he's gonna <laughs> miss this." And I yeah. swear to you, dude, the kick. When you watch that again on TV, it looks like it goes right over the upright. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was in. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I can't believe we lost this game. And then I looked yeah. at the refs. I looked at the refs, and they signaled no good. I just, yeah. I couldn't believe it, dude. What nah, an emotional yeah, moment. Yeah, the crazy part about, about that game was that they had two chances at that field goal. Um, you know, the first one they missed, they said that it was a somebody on defense was illegally calling the snap count out. That's right. That's right. And they moved the ball. Yeah, they moved the ball five yards closer, and they kicked it again. I mean, we already when he missed the first one, most of the team had already ran in the locker room um, and was celebrating. And they had to really they had to literally call us back out of the locker room for them to line it up and kick it again. So you know, from a player standpoint, you know, you're talking about a, a a roller coaster of emotion. I mean, you got a team, you got to watch them attempt the game when the field goes two times in a row, you know, and the second one being five yards closer. Trust me. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a gut wrencher, man. So I know I, I can, I, I can understand how you and you and your family was feeling watching that one, because trust me, the, the feeling was mutual to us on the sideline. Like it was definitely, uh, I mean, it was close as it can get. Yeah. No word about it. It was a battle, man. What? It was a battle. Walk me through that final drive when Mike Rocco led you guys down in there and Kevin Parks punched it in. That was that was yeah. one of the most epic drive of Mike Rocco's career here. And, like, man, it was just an amazing drive. I mean, he was locked in. Yeah, I think, you know, for us as an offense, um, you know, uh, another tip of the cat to Coach Laser, I think in our preparation, um, you know, we always prepare at full speed, you know, pressure situations, everything had, you know, a uh, down and distance. Um, so we really had, you know, and, and fortunately for, for us at UVA during those times, the defense was always, you know, really solid. Um, it had a ton of playmakers. So for us, you know, it, it, it was the epitome of, you know, still, I mean, iron sharp as iron. Um, and really just kind of bumping heads every day at practice, you know, really creating that resilience because, you know, that game was a dog. Right? That game was a, sl- a slugfest throughout the, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the majority of the game. And, you know, for us, when we got the ball, um, we, we didn't have a doubt that we were going to score. You know, we felt like we had prepared. You know, our strength coach had us in shape. You know, we had we had the program. We knew we had, you know, as I mentioned before, those shot plays that we hadn't called yet um, that were, you know, specific type of situation. So we knew that we – you know, hadn't shot all of our shots, and we, we had some some tricks up our sleeve. And, you know, I think that, you know, as you mentioned, for, for Mike, for, for KP, you know, for really the offense as a whole, that was a great um, a great drive. And really just for us, just having that type of uh, resilience to go ahead and, and punch it in, I think it really, it really kind of kept us on the up and up uh, when it came to, you know, just our thoughts as far as producing as an offense. You know, because we beat Miami, I think, the week right after that yeah. in Miami. Yeah, before that. So, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, so it was Yeah, it was definitely one of the peak points of our season. Um, and confidence was sky high, you know, obviously after we, we got that win on the road there. 
Yeah, dude, that that win was something else. Like just that that pass by Rocco to Tim Smith across oh, yeah. the middle was fucking epic. Like, oh my gosh, that was such a pretty ball. <laughs> yeah, I keep in t- I keep in touch with Tim all the time, man. And I, I tell you, you know, us as a as a wide receiver group, you know, we really challenge each other, um, you know, mentally and physically each day to be the best version of ourselves. You know, if there was anybody kind of slacking, anybody not giving 100%, um, you know, people were calling each other out. And I think that, you know, Tim coming in a few years after, you know, I did, um, he had the same type of work ethic and drive. Um, the same with Dontrell and Matt Snyder and Derek Jennings. I mean, we all kind of were similar in our approach towards the game. So I think that's why the offense, you know, I, I, along with the, you know, offensive line being able to, you know, provide some time and, and, you know, the quarterback development between Rocco, Verica, you know, and, the, and Jamil, the whole game. You know, I think internally as an offense, um, we really have each other accountable. So that was, that's always a great thing. Yeah, you know, that offensive line, it's good that you mentioned that. That 2011 offensive line for Virginia football, quite honestly, streaking the lawn recently did it all decade team to me you would have to put that whole offensive line as the as a unit, as the best offensive line of the entire decade for Virginia football. I mean, that, no that, that offensive line was just loaded. All those guys, what was it? All five guys started all the games throughout the season? Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was probably the, the most cohesive group I've seen, you know, in a long time. Um, and those guys were, you know, were close with any, with any, within the group, you know, which made it even more kind of powerful on game day. So, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we just had a uh, a Zoom call with a lot of those guys, you know, Big A, Big Mo, O'Day, you know, the whole gang there, Mahota, you know, and, and really just kind of just talked it up and, you know, just had some of these, uh, you know, just memories in, in terms of some of the locker room moments and, you know, games on the road and, you know, just kind of just those things that, you know, really keep us together as brothers and, you know, as a family. So it's, it's always good to circle back with the group. Absolutely. Talk to me about the 20, 2010 Duke game. Dontrell Inman had the performance of a lifetime. Like oh, that yeah. game was absolutely insane. He made a catch. It kind of reminded me of one of them that Randy Moss made where, but both Duke defenders kind of collided right as Di caught the ball. Like he was just an absolute savage yeah. that game. Yeah, and I think you know it, it goes to say what we talked about earlier is having one of those you know in the zone moments. Um, I feel like he was in the zone the whole the whole game. You know that was that Duke game on the road was you know the epitome of a shootout. Um, I think the final score was like fifty something to forty something. It was something. Some high up there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as an offense, uh, we, we knew, you know, Dontrell is definitely a, a high point receiver. You know, where anything that's up in the air, you're going to have a trouble kind of sh- sh- stopping him from, you know, climbing the ladder and going to get it. Um, and Deuce cornerbacks that year were pretty small. So we knew, you know, a jump ball situation, you know, I like to play up there a little bit as well. Um, but we knew up in, in, in jump ball situations that, you know, we had a good chance in one-on-one situations to come down with the ball. Um, so Dontrell, I mean, he he literally did it all that game. I mean, we're talking, you know, high pointing the ball, jumping over people, um, run after the catch, you know, catching screens and, you know, finding blocks and getting up the seams to, you know, just making tough contested catches throughout throughout 
you know, I think for, for Mark, um, for Dontrell, you know, I think I, I can't remember what, what, uh, what everybody else did. Um, but I know that was shoot, the single season. I think he went about 270, 275 or 276. I mean, as a receiver, you know, you're, you're, you're glowing, you know, some will say you, you definitely highlighted it at that point. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of those moments, man. And, and like I said, me and Dontrell was, was real, was real close that season, you know, really just kind of pushing each other as well. Um, and trust me, I let him know, like, Hey man, you got me that game. Bro. You, you outperformed <laughs> in a major way, you know? So yeah, he, he's definitely a good friend of mine. Yeah, Dontrell, you could tell early on Al Groh was really gushing about Dontrell Inman from the second he set foot on Virginia's campus. You really knew he was going to be a big-time player for us. Quite honestly, I was very surprised that it took so long for teams to realize that he had the talent to be in the NFL because he spent a few years in CFL, and then the Chargers finally gave him a shot, and He's been pretty solid, and uh, it's it's been good to see him in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I knew he always had the talent. You know, it's all about being in the right place at the right time, and I think, uh, you know, that happened for him. You know, he stayed kind of, you know, kept his head down, kept working, and it paid off. You know, he's definitely uh, he's definitely NFL caliber talent. I'll tell you that. Absolutely. Talk to me about your career uh, post UVA, Chris. Like. What, how exactly did that go for you? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I finished up my uh, my season at Chick-fil-A Bowl. Um, I suffered a broken collarbone. So, you know, it kind of put me a little bit behind when it came to training for pro day, and, you know, combine invites and things of that nature. Um, I, you know, had a decline just based on my, you know, inability to really train to be at my best. Uh, but, you know, I had a, uh, you know, I, I had a solid pro day. Uh, out of UVA, um, and, and you know, started training uh, with some with some guys out in Arizona. You know, getting ready for, for you know OTAs and rookie mini camp. Uh, ended up signing a free agent deal with the Jets uh, on draft day, um, and, and 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 went that route. You know, I, I uh, you know showed up to rookie mini camp, made it through. You know, I was still a little dinged up from the season. Um, you know, so I had to you know rehab and, and get things right. Um, during rookie mini camp, uh, and then when OTAs and training camp started, uh, you know, just working my way up the depth chart, um, just trying to really get, you know, a sense of, you know, where I fit in on the team, um, working a lot of special teams, um, and, and some, uh, you know, really just, you know, just being, you know, trying to understand, like, you know, NFL is a lot more fast-paced um, than college. Um, so really just understanding the flow and how things were working, um, you know, getting my graph wet, but I, I mean, get my feet wet, but I did um, end up tweaking my back again, which I did coming out of uh, high school. I had a slip, uh, slip disc um, that had pinched the nerve, um, and, and, and re-injured that um, during that rookie mini. I mean, during that mini camp, and um, you know, really just had to hang it up from there. Um, I wasn't able to really be back at that peak athletic performance um, that I that I needed to be at. Um, so I had to make the transition um, since I already had the surgery coming out of high school. You know, they didn't want to go in and operate again. So it was uh, it was a tough decision to make. But I think, you know, for the longevity, 
um, and, and really just being, you know, healthy and thinking about long term, I think it was the right move to make. Yeah, sounds good, Chris. Sometimes there are some guys like, God, you watch Frank Gore now. Like, God, that guy's torn both of his ACLs. <laughs> he's still yeah. he's still in the NFL, man. Yeah, like, exactly. that guy is an absolute machine. At the running back position, it is unheard of what Frank Gore is doing. Yeah. It's definitely not good, man. Pass off to him, I think. He you is know, like some, he's like something out of outer space, man. Yeah, some people got it, man. I tell you, um, I'm surprised about people lasting that long. You know, it's it's tolling your body. That's to say, that's to say the least. Yeah, who who are your uh, favorite NFL teams that you like following, Chris? Uh, well, yeah, I'm a Steelers fan. I've been a Steelers fan, you know, pretty much my entire life. You know, I uh, as I mentioned before, James Ferrier, uh he grew up right up the street from from me growing up. Um, played in the same little league team. So when he got to the league, you know, I essentially just started following him. Um, so I followed him. I started following the team, and you know, I usually catch two or three uh, Steelers games or try to at least, you know, each year. But you know, I've always been a Steelers fan uh, my entire life. How about you, Wade? Uh, my favorite team. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm really a. a- have a favorite team. I really love Barry Sanders growing up and, oh, uh, I really loved the lions when they had Herman Moore, Barry Sanders, Scott Mitchell, Johnny Morton, and they had, uh, Robert Porsche, man. Like I, I used to love Barry Sanders, dude. I have a huge, huge fat head of Barry Sanders and I have like a Oklahoma state painting of Barry Sanders. Mm. I mean, what do you think about his career, man? I think, you know, him, him retiring when he did. I think, you know, it was kind of tough to swallow, but I think long-term wise, I think it was smart for Barry, you know? And I mean, Barry, he, he never really took a lot of hits, you know? So I think, uh, for him, you listen to him and Calvin Johnson talk about the end of their careers. It kind of makes me sad as a Lions fan, because it's, it's all about the front office, you know, and, and their unwillingness to spend money to win. So yeah. that part about it, uh, it makes me really sad. And, and you really side with the players in that aspect. You know what I mean? Like, why should you risk your body, you know, for more money when, <laughs> when the people in the front office don't really want to win? And I mean, you know, yeah. if you believe that the people that are the owners, that they don't want to win and they're not going to trade you, then, you know, quite frankly... <laughs> Hanging it up is your only option. You know what I mean? And Barry and Calvin were are both just really classy people that don't really want to, you know, cause a fuss. You know, some players, they love causing a fuss. But uh, Calvin and Barry are just the opposite of that. And uh, I think that's, it's kind of, I, I look at why both of them quit. And, you know, Calvin Johnson was a little quieter about, you know, um, it, it didn't come out until a couple of years after he retired, you know, about like why, but I mean, mm-hmm. damn, Calvin Johnson also took more of a beating. Like God, I mean, he had, a, he had a lot of injuries. Yeah. He always stayed pretty dinged up. I mean, now you can add, I guess, Matt Stafford to the list. You know, yeah. what is he, you, you know, know. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You mentioned Matthew Stafford. I hear, I hear all the stories about his, him having all the fractures in his back. And I'm like, man, I feel like the reporters and everything are not making that like serious enough. Like yeah. to me, that sounds career ending. Does it not? Like, yeah, Jesus. No, I, 
there's a lot of nerve canals in that back and that spine area. So, you know, I think for, for, you know, especially for franchise quarterbacks, you know, I think now players have enough power to really make that call, um, whether they're going to play or not, um, you know, in terms of the longevity, because, you know, some people are just hanging it up, you know, just as far as that health, you know, just not trying to have, you know, too many concussions, like, you know, really just kind of taking the next step, which I'm sure NFL owners hadn't seen before. You know, you had people really playing until they couldn't play anymore. But now some people who are essentially in the prime of their physical life, you know, hanging it up to make sure that they stay away from like CTE and different, you know, post-NFL things, I think, you know, empowers the players a little bit more, man. So they have more to bargain with, you know, at the table, you know, when they're talking about these contract extensions and, you know, new deals, you know, so it's, I think it's time to come around and be in more of the players' favor and move forward. Speaking of new deals, Chris, uh, Patrick Mahomes just signed a deal. Oh. 10 years, uh, $450 million, $140 million guaranteed. <laughs> Talk yeah. to me about how uh, ridiculous. I'll tell you my thoughts on the contract, and then I'll let you go. I yeah. think this is my theory on, listen, Pat Mahomes deserves all the money in the world. He's incredible. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. There's no question in my mind. And anyone that actually knows football, you know, like it's obvious that Pat Mahomes is going to the Hall of Fame. But yeah. the thing with any franchise quarterback is they got to understand the less you take the more pie there's going to be for the franchise to have other people around you. Now, listen, once again, I'm, I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve it, but in order to make it easier for your franchise to win, <laughs> you're probably going to take a little bit of a haircut because I mean, quite frankly, I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> no, it's definitely, a, it's definitely a push and pull. You know, I think, you know, for Patrick Mahomes, he's definitely, you know, he's in a different, I guess, age bracket, you know, than like a L L Lamar Jackson. And, you know, because he's been in the league now for, for three years, you know, he's not considered, you know, as volatile, you know, as, you know, as one of these younger guys who hasn't really, you know, been, been at that level of production. You know, you're talking about Patrick Mahomes the last two years. I mean, I don't think you can get more productive from the quarterback position, you know, and then you add on top of that, you know, you have one of the most explosive offenses out there, and then you add on top of that a Super Bowl win. Oh, and you add on top of that a comeback Super Bowl win. You know, I think he cashed out at the right time when the front office is thinking, look, we got to keep this guy here because I know any other team that's desperate for a quarterback will, 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 will throw the kitchen sink at him. You know, let's go ahead and lock it down. We'll make sure he knows that, you know, we're committed to him for a long period of time. You know, let's go ahead and give him this baseball money. You know, I think that was the Kansas City's, you know, thoughts, you know, and, you know, for them, I mean, when was the last time they were this, they were this relevant as a franchise? You know, I feel like they got to keep on riding while it's hot, you know, and turn into America's team if they can. You know, I think that's what they're looking to do. Yeah, you're right, dude. I tell you what, I was super happy for Andy Reid. Really love Andy Reid, all the schemes that he runs. He's really just, he's he's an innovative guy. And not only that, you can, like, he's such a great coach because, like, I remember there was one game, I want to say it was Denver, at Denver, where Mahomes was struggling a little bit. And Andy Reid 
you know, he didn't yell at him. He sat down beside him on the bench and he, he talked it out with him and he, he tried to calm him down. And that's a big part of what makes Andy Reid one of the greatest football coaches ever to live. Like one of the great Andy Reid quotes that I'll never forget, man, is uh, when he goes, a quarterback is like a tea bag. You never know what you got until you put it in hot water. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. It's so true, man, because until a quarterback shows you that he can throw under pressure, he's not... I mean, you can still be a very good quarterback and not throw under pressure, but the truly elite ones can handle all the bullets. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think Patrick Mahomes, you know, he handled them, man. You know, the, the bullets were coming in that Super Bowl win. And, you know, I think as teams kind of knew what type of quarterback, I think his intangibles, you know, definitely earned him that, you know, that, that biggest contract ever. Um, and I think that his arm strength and just, the way he plays the game, I think it's going to be, you know, something that other quarterbacks, other teams are going to try to, you know, add as far as another dimension of the offense. Because the way he extends plays and get creative on his, you know, his throwing alleys and, you know, keeping his eyes downfield, I think, I mean, hey, every quarterback's going to have a little bit of Patrick Mahomes ish in him moving forward, you know, because he can move a little bit too. So, you know, it's, it's a, I think we're in a golden age of quarterbacks here between, Mahomes, you know, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson. I mean, we're talking about yeah, some 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 really kind of generational talents coming through these franchises. And I think that, you know, fortunately the franchises recognize their talent level and are starting to get creative in ways to really highlight some of the things that they can do. But I think last year it was just a, a reflection of just how good some of these, you know, some of these guys were. So, you know, it's, I'm excited, man. Hopefully, you know, they can turn things around you know, with this coronavirus and let's get some, uh, some action on the field. But, you know, I think we're, we're going to be in for, you know, a good treat here moving forward. Um, and, and just in terms of talent and, you know, who's out there on Sunday. Yeah, I agree, man. I tell you what, Tyree kill is just must see TV, man. That guy, my God, I'll never forget. Damian Williams had a breakaway run. He was ahead of Tyree Kill by about 10 yards. And Tyree Kill literally sprints, <laughs> catches up to him, and passes him before he gets to the end zone. Yeah. I mean, speed kills, man. Speed kills. And I think Tyree Kill is a, is a prime example of, you know, when you put speed in the right places, it's, it's, it almost seems un- unguardable. Um, and I think that, you know, Kansas City has just enough packages to, to really, you know, highlight just how how fast he is and, you know, getting him in a return game, you know, he's, yeah, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be somebody we're talking about for the next five to 10 years. That's for certain because, you know, speed's always going to kill and he got, he has the most that I've seen last year. That's for certain. You know, plus with Patrick Mahomes being able to launch the ball, all you have to do is say, you know, Hey Pat, just launch it 50 yards and let Tyreek run under it. (laughs) Because there is no one catching that guy in a foot race. Not, not even close. And you know he's on. He's in the perfect situation. You know, having one of the, one of the most, you know, one of the probably the strongest arm strength out of a quarterback. You know, this year, um, and then somebody as innovative as Patrick Mahomes is throwing no look pass. I mean, that's you know you're talking about a, a match made. That's that just screams big plays. You know, not to mention one of the best tight ends in the game. So you really got all three levels of, of the field kind of covered with a smart quarterback. 
a tight end to work the middle and then one of the fastest receivers, you know, you're going to be a nightmare for defensive coordinators and, and as far as prepping for that. So. And, and now they got uh, add Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to the mix. Yeah, exactly. And now you got a bruising running back, you know, who's going to be able to give you 20 carries a game. I mean, it's, like I said, they, they, got a, they got a lot of young talent, you know, and I think that, you know, with Mahomes, you know, maybe he'll restructure the deal as, you know, as people's contracts start to expire and trying to keep people together. Um, but as, as of right now, I mean, they, they probably got one of the younger, younger teams um, and, and one of the more talented teams at each position. So, you know, they got people that's been there before and then they got a lot of young energy, you know, to really thrive. I think for me, you know, being a Steelers fan, you know, there's a ton that we need to address as well. And I think the quarterback position is something that we got to figure out, you know, the, the, the direction that we're going to have, you know, as Big Ben gets, gets older, you know, it's just a lot of question marks, I think, as a franchise that we got to start to address here before it's just too late. You know, I was hoping we was going to pull the trigger on Cam Newton, um, but you see Bill Belichick beat us to that. So, Yeah. I, you know, now that you mentioned Cam Newton, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on Cam Newton, Chris. What are your, what are your thoughts on Cam Newton with Bill Belichick? I mean, it's, uh, you know, to me, you know, I, I thought that from a, a chess pieces move, you know, that seemed like something, you know, right up Bill Belichick's lane, you know, where he would go ahead and make a play on just the talent, you know, saying, look, this guy's talented. I want to have a, a, a roster full of talent. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and the phone. Um, but, you know, I think Cam is, is one of those type of players that really just wants to be his best at all times. And so I, I honestly think that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I don't think they're going to get along. You know, yeah, Cam- <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people, Chris. I think yeah. I think Belichick will cut his ass before it even comes into fruition. But at the same time, I mean, Bill Belichick brought in Randy Moss as well. You know, Randy, you could have said the same thing about Randy Moss, who, you know, wants the ball all the time and, and this and that. I mean, the question is, can Cam Newton still play? Yeah. And I think, he, you know, I think he can. And I think that, you know, the willing, the willingness for Cam Newton to, you know, remain competitive, I think that they'll be able to have some synergy off of that um, and really just kind of start talking X's and O's. I don't really see them having a lot of, you know, side talk as far as what they're doing over the weekend. But I think that Cam Newton will realize that he's in a, you know, unique position where he's coming from the, the coach who coached, you know, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, for his entire career. I mean, why would you not pick his brain? You know, why would you not see how he let Tom, you know, how he coached Tom Brady to be, you know, as effective as he was for so long? You know, so I think that Cam is in a position where he's been humbled, you know, just based on the process and the free agency run. I mean, he'll come in with a, a you know, a student, a student's cap on um, and, and really just try to learn different ways to be productive at the quarterback position. So, you know, I'm excited for Cam, man. I, I, I was, I knew he was going to get signed. I didn't think it was going to take this long, but you know, I'm, I'm glad that he's under a good organization that's really going to keep a, uh, uh, you know, keep a tight ship. You know, when it comes to you know mindsets kind of wandering and people kind of getting selfish. So, I'm excited for him. I ain't gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. It's, it's certainly a fascinating move and, and I, I see why it's grabbed all the headlines. A couple of concerns I have with Cam Newton are this one is I worry about his foot. We, we have not seen any, yeah. the Liz Frank injury, you know, as well as anyone that the Liz Frank injury can be incredibly nagging. 
football injury. We have not gotten to watch Cam Newton run post-surgery. That's one big concern that I have. Another one is the video where he just posted. He said, I'm tired of being humble. I mean, I don't know. To me, like Cam Newton is like, he doesn't really embrace the Patriot way. You know what I mean? And like, like that video is like the opposite of the Patriot way, you know? So I will be very interested to see if, with Cam Newton with the YouTube channel, I'll be honest, with a lot of the players, and I mean, listen, I'm all for freedom of speech and everything. You know, I think if all players want to have a YouTube channel, go right ahead. But to me, if if I was like a PR guy for a player, I would be like, listen, you know, players, like they, they sometimes it's it's nice for you to like go away for a little bit you know michael jordan was really good about that like in the last dance that's why like his documentary now you know like so much of that stuff like we never seen you know what i mean it's kind of like if you show if you show yourself all the time people will kind of get a little sick of you you know what i mean but it, it it's uh you know it's all up to the player as far as what they want to do but i think that mj that was that was part of what makes mj mj is he was so smart about just staying out of the spotlight and you leave people wanting more so like once cam newton suits up you're going to be like man i can't wait to watch cam play or you know his post game press conference i can't wait to hear cam talk you know what i mean yeah, so. yeah. I see. I see your point there. I mean, and I think, you know, it's a it's a different day and age now. I think that you know the more you know, I think you know Antonio Brown's a good example. You know, he stayed in the headlines. He stayed in the <laughs> different. Uh, you know, players have different mentalities nowadays. You know, where it's more of branding. You know, they want to make sure that their brand is getting recognized and their brand is getting exposure. You know, so they kind of conflate the two, where it's like. Yeah, I understand I'm a piece of a team, but at the end of the day, I'm going home to my wife, my kids. I got to make sure that my brand is, you know, getting exposure as well. You know, so I think it's a, you know, some players approach it differently. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a different generation, man. When we're talking about streams of revenue and, you know, ways that, you know, players really, I guess, bring home the bacon, you know, so. Yeah, I, I will tell you, Cam Newton at Auburn, the funny thing is, he finished his career at Auburn the year before you guys played Auburn in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. And his his highlights, that 2010 season, I mean, absolutely incredible. Like that, what was it, oh, yeah. the pass that he made, he was rolling to his right off his back foot against Kentucky. God, yeah. what was that, like yeah. a 50-yard bomb at the end of the half? And then... How about the play against South Carolina where Cam Newton literally jumps from the fucking 10-yard line? I have never seen that. He he jumped all the way. It was either the 10 or the 5, but to watch a guy take off from that far out and land in the end zone, that was unreal, man. He's an he's unreal talent, and I think that you know everybody needs a little Cam Newton uh, reappearance. You know, because, I mean, the game missed him last year. And I think it's, uh, you know, his style of play is, hasn't been, you know, really duped. I mean, having a bruiser-style runner as a quarterback, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty different. <laughs> yeah, you know? he's definitely a bruiser, Chris. I, I saw, I forget the volume of hits that he's taken, but 
He's taken like the most hits of any quarterback in the past. I forget how many years, but he has taken a massive beating. And I mean, in his defense, there was that like that Broncos game. He got absolutely leveled by was it Von Miller? Jesus. Oh yeah. He got killed. I, I mean, and, and they weren't flagging some of those hits. It's like, guys, like you're just leaving Cam out to dry. Like, I mean, God, he was and, and, he was getting and, destroyed. Yeah, and to Cam's defense, I think when you're a bigger, you know, athletic quarterback, you know, it's kind of like, you know, LeBron getting fouled in the NFL. They're not going to, I mean, NBA, they're not going to call all those fouls the same as they would on Steph Curry or James Harden. You know, because they think, oh, LeBron can take it. Oh, LeBron can, you know what I mean? So I think that's the same, you know, Cam's suffering from that same type of, oh, he's big and strong. Like, he can take it. He can take it. He can take it. You know, and I think, um, you know, I think this time this time off was, was needed for Cam, man. He, he's been doing it, you know, year in and year out. I think he needed the time to, you know, just mentally take a break and physically just rehab and get everything right. And hopefully that foot's back strong, man. Like I said, he's one of my uh, must-watch coming out of this year and see exactly what he's going to do out there on the field. Yeah, I think everyone who follows the NFL is certainly fascinated to see how he does. I, You know, I was never really sold on Jarrett Stidham. I mean, he threw a really pretty ball when he was coming out, but I, I was just not drinking the Jarrett Stidham Kool-Aid. I saw, you know, a lot of reporters this summer were saying, the Patriots are committed to Jarrett Stidham for a really long time. Like, get out of here, guys. Like, I just... I'm not buying. I am not drinking the Jarrett Stidham Kool Aid. I don't think. I don't think anybody in the organization was. And you know, you don't go from Tom Brady to Jarrett Stidham and not have anybody turn their heads and figuring out what's going on. So <laughs> I think they knew they were going to bring in a big name. Um, and I, I think they got the right one. You know, it's going to be a different system, obviously, going from Tom Brady to uh, to Cam. You know, as far as style of play. But I think you know maybe having Cam throw some of those shorter, you know, timing type routes you know, might be a, a benefit for him. So we'll, we'll see, man. Like I said, it's a lot of questions up in the air this year in terms of how the season's going to really look. You know, a lot of moves happening. And, you know, I mean, we got Tom Brady with the Buccaneers with Gronkowski. Like, who would have thought that at the end of last year? You know, it's, it's just a crazy season. Yeah, already. it's it's going to be interesting to see how Brady fits with, uh, with all those receivers. Godwin, Evans, I mean, Jesus Christ, <laughs> one of the best tight end duos I've ever heard of. O.J. Howard and Rob Gronkowski, my God, that is terrifying. That's some, that's some, and you got to think about it. Tampa Bay's offense last year was putting up big numbers. You know, oh, even yeah. with throwing a ton of picks, I mean, they still are, you know, one of the top offenses in the league based on yards per game. So you throw in somebody who's a little bit more cautious, you know, with the ball and, and can cut back on some of those turnovers, you're talking about a playoff team. No questions asked. Oh, super Super Bowl team, I'd say. Uh it's it's gonna be fascinating to watch them. It'll it'll probably between probably between the Bucks, Saints, Chiefs. Um trying to think of who else I would put in that mix. But I want to talk about the college game a little bit more, Chris. I'm curious what you know, one thing I've been asking a lot of the players that have come on the show, and I'm always fascinated to hear your guys' answers about this. What are your thoughts on players getting paid in college? Oh wow, that's a that's a heavy one. You know, me me personally, I've always felt like uh, you know players definitely should be you know be compensated um, during the season. You know, I know some rules have changed 
you know, since I played and, you know, while I was playing, some rules were changing. But, you know, I think that from a, a, a collegiate athlete standpoint who dedicates, you know, as much time and as much, you know, energy into the sport for the school, you know, I think it's only right to have something that, you know, from a monetary standpoint, you know, that players can take with them. Because, you know, if you get hurt or if you get, you know, injured or whatever, I mean, any anything that can happen, you know, during whatever sport that you're playing, you know, I think that when you leave school, you still have those injuries, you know, you still have those scars. And from a, a compensation standpoint, unless you make it in the NFL, you really, you know, just kind of have to manage that on your own. You can't come back to the school and say, hey, I used to play here at this time. Like, you really just kind of, you know, they, they essentially treat you like a king while you're there. Um, and then it just ends right, right when you, you know, walk across the stage. So I think it leaves a lot of players with some issues that they really, you know, maybe could have bypassed, you know, if they had some type of conversation to really help, you know, set themselves up um, and live a little bit more comfortably, you know, post-college. You know, I think it makes sense just for just for the sheer fact of the amount of revenue that, you know, a lot of these big-name players and programs are bringing to the university. Yeah. I mean, why, 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 why are we not, you know, compensating? You sell that jersey, yeah, it might not have their name on the back, but everybody knows who, you know, yeah, absolutely. So I think it's just a way for the schools to, you know, really run like a capitalist, you know, just, uh, we're going to make as much money out of this thing as we can. And, you know, let's keep these corners as tight as possible, you know? So I think it's a long overdue. Um, and I'm in full support of, you know, college athletes getting paid. Yeah. You know, I agree. I agree completely, Chris. Uh, you know, that was one of the things that, I didn't really think about that when I started this podcast, but honestly talking to all you guys, like it really, uh, it really opened my eyes to that as a, as a big issue. And it's, it's really fun to hear you guys talk about it. And, um, not only that, to hear the different thoughts from different guys, just on all the different things. Um, what are your thoughts on the Reggie Bush, uh, on the Reggie Bush scandal, Chris, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that that problem is just a uh, uh, a result of you know what we just talked about. I think if players were compensated, you know, they wouldn't have to go outside of you know, I guess, sanctioned uh, behavior. You know, I think that you signing your own name or or you having something that you you know you've worn that's owned by you or whatever the case may be, you selling that off as as memorabilia to somebody. I, I never thought that that was an appropriate reaction to the Reggie Bush scandal and, you know, how he was kind of moving because at the same time, if he would have got hurt and, you know, God forbid, you know, a tragic injury and he wasn't able to play anymore, the value of that signature would have drastically went down, you know? And I think that the same way that schools want to capitalize off of the players, you know, as fast as they can, they get a big five-star recruit, or they're going to be on all the programs, that next season, you know what I mean? I think that it's not crazy for the player to think, look, I'm looking to be the number one pick in NFL draft. Why would I not, you know, sell some signatures here in college, you know, to help out? Why not reach out to my agent and say, hey, look, man, we got this coming up. You know, I don't think that that should be considered like criminal behavior. From Yeah, uh, from- I, I I agree completely, Chris. I think that uh, the, the whole Reggie Bush situation, I've been talking to all the other players that have come on about that, and uh, it's really just total bullshit, man. Like, 
Reggie Bush yeah. earned that Heisman fair and square. And I love how they say that Reggie had to voluntarily give up his Heisman. Like, fuck you. You know, like, that's one of the best awards in sports. Like, no one's going to voluntarily give up the Heisman trophy. You know what I mean? You guys made him give up that award. Like, it just, it really pissed me off, dude. The Reggie yeah. Bush situation. People will listen to this podcast, probably getting sick of hearing about it. But uh, really, one of the biggest injustices of all of sports, like, you make USC disassociate with the guy for 10 years. Like, Give me a break, dude. That's so stupid. Like, everyone's just not going to magically forget that Reggie Bush went to USC. You know what I mean? Oh, gee, Chris, I forgot who won the Heisman. Like, can you, can you, I forgot that Reggie Bush won the, won the Heisman, dude. Like, you know what I mean? Only one of the most electric college football players ever. Like, come on, man. Everybody knows Reggie Bush. You can't tarnish his legacy and his performance on the field. And I think that what they were trying to do with Reggie was make an example out of him to really show other college players, like, look, don't play with us. You know what I mean? Don't don't play with these this money. Don't play with these pockets, you know, because we'll come down with the hammer. You know, and I think Chase Young missed the first six games or something this year. You know, ended up being the number, what was it, number two pick? Number one, the, the, the DM from Ohio State? Yeah, number two. He's going yeah, to be a Hall of Famer, dude. Book it. That guy is fucking incredible dude that guy is jesus yeah. what a freak i mean i'm i hear his coaches even i mean that kid is destined for the hall of fame i'm already getting his bronze ready that dude is an absolute <laughs> savage there you go yeah and, and that's the thing he missed six games because someone paid for a trip you know that he ended up paying back before the season started it's just like for somebody who is single-handedly a chase young obviously bringing in you know, millions of dollars to the Ohio State football program and, you know, checking all the boxes, you know, hasn't got any, you know, drug tests, failed, anything crazy, you know, for him to essentially live a college life. Nobody, you know, having a loan from somebody as a regular student wouldn't have been viewed as any type of issue, wouldn't even have made the front page. You know, so I think that for a college athlete, you know, they still have to live their lives outside of the football field in the classroom as well. And I think that, you know, you can't really work a full-time job like some other college uh, college student because of your schedule. You know, why, why not, you know, treat that college football team as, as, a, as your occupation and get compensated? You know, I, I abs- really don't absolutely agree, Chris, 100%. How they haven't made that change or how they made that jump. But, you know, I know it's going to be pretty complicated, you know, just based on different tiers and different levels in college and, you know, maybe percentages. Who knows how they're going to figure it out? You know, but I know it's something that's overdue um, and it's creating like a vacuum for for those high tier quality athletes, you know, to to really start to say, okay, well, is it even worth me going to college? Like, should I just go and play or go and train, you know, or go do here, go Go to the the G League? Yeah, exactly. Go to the G League, exactly. You know, which a lot of NBA players are doing. You know, it's just, a, it, I, I think it's going to push people away from coming into college with raw talent uh, when they can say, look, I'm going to, you know, train, get the, you know, get the best I can be, play in the CFL or whatever the case may be, and then come out as the number one draft pick because I have the same exposure. But I'll be able to make money throughout. You know, some people are going to look at that as a viable option. So, you know, I think they just have to address it on the front end before that becomes a reality for some players. 
Yeah. Sp- speaking of guys going pro, have you watched uh, Amani Bates, the kid that just committed to Michigan State? Have you watched him? Oh, yeah. He's a, he's a freak, man. Dude, that, a freak. that kid is ridiculous, man. Dude, Amani Bates said that if if he can go straight to the NBA out of high school, he's skipping Michigan State. And to be honest, after watching his highlights, I don't blame him one bit. He is ridiculous, yeah. bro. Yeah, he is ridiculous. And, you know, somebody told me about him 2000, uh, February, I want to say, of last year. And it was like, man, you got to check out this Humani base. Like, this guy's. Yeah. He's, he's an extra brown. I was like, next to brown. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't just throw that around willy nilly. You know, you're talking about a generational talent there. And I checked out the highlights and I said, man, that's like playing against little kids. Oh, yeah, dude. He's just scoring those guys. It looks like he's playing rec ball with those kids. Yeah. He's, um, he's something, he's going to be something to keep an eye on moving forward. But, you know, I mean, I think with basketball, it's just a lot, you know, it's a, I feel like there's a lot of talent that comes around, but it, they never really fully blossom, which is, you know, why I think people should appreciate LeBron a little bit more than they do now because you got to understand the hype that he came into the league with and then how, how he delivered. You know, he's going to nine straight finals. I mean, that's that's pretty ridiculous when you think about, you know, just a player and, and taking a team to those to those, to those, uh, to those positions, you know, as and having that pressure coming into the league as a rookie straight out of high school. I think, you know, you just got to tip the hat to LeBron you know, when we start talking about that, because I mean, that's, that's almost, almost impossible to do as a high school kid, be able to physically dominate the game the way he did coming out of the gate. Yeah. You know, he, I think in mind, it might be a slower transition just because of his size, but you know, he definitely has the potential to do so. I mean, he's only going to get better with time. So yeah. Amani Bates kind of reminds me of a more aggressive at the rim version of KD. He's got that three ball and man, when he comes in to send it in, he sends it in with authority at the rim. Yeah. Yeah. KD. I mean, yeah, we, we, I mean, like I said, man, sports wise, we're, we're in the, we're in a golden little era between KD, Steph, LeBron, you know, Mahomes, uh, you know, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. I mean, we're talking we're talking great talent coming through, you know, all sports. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why people kind of chomping at the bit for when things are going to get back to normal, because there's so much, there's so many expectations, you know, for, and, and things that, you know, want to be seen, you know, this new NBA setup out in Orlando and having like a new tournament. Set, I mean, what? That's kind of crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've, I've looked. Know. I've looked at the stuff with the bubble. They have like special grocery bags of food for everyone. They they package like five meals in one little like grocery bag, and it's all yeah. like prepackaged. <laughs> so like oh, wow. that way, that way they don't have people that have to like come back and forth with all the food. You know, you just leave the bag of food and, and you choose. It's like taster's choice. They say for breakfast, they give you like, you know, I think they said it was like oatmeal or an egg and cheese sandwich or like a bunch of other things. Yeah. I, I, I mean, with the, with the spike in cases going on now, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to let them go ahead and go with that, you know, just because it's, I mean, it's almost impossible to keep everything, you know, sanitized, you know, you have to check the security where they're going at the end of the shift and, you have to check this, check that. You know, the last thing I want is for a whole lot of celebrities, a whole lot of NFL players, 
NBA players or whoever to get it and then have an event and that whole, whole city has, you know what I mean? I think it's, they gotta be a little bit smarter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Would, I agree with you, Chris. I, I think that a lot of people, myself included, you know, I, I really want football to happen, but the reality of studied a lot of the different stuff about the coronavirus and, uh, I just, classic virology, dude. I just don't think it's going to happen. And I I know that's a hard pill for a lot of people out there to swallow, but um, it's just the reality of it, you know? And it's going to cost the country a lot of money. To me, the the thing that amazes me, and I'm not going to get too much in politics, but the thing that amazes me is that our Congress has not already just gotten a huge bailout package for colleges across the country because think of the athletic departments and how football is the engine for the athletic department. What happens once you shut that engine off completely? I mean, it, it's going to be the biggest economic devastation that uh, we've ever seen, man. I mean, like Congress should already be building a package to for all the colleges already. And the fact that they're not doing that, it shows me how incompetent and just how out of touch and just, God, I don't know. Politicians, the majority of them are just very unimpressive during this time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And I, and, and a lot of colleges I heard are, are cutting programs already. Yeah. You know, UConn, UConn so. cut track swimming. I know, uh, I think Cincinnati cut some programs, but, and and, you know, that's even before football is is not, you know, going. So like, I mean, just think of that. I mean, that's, that's the crazy part because no March madness. So to me, the, the fact that, you know, Congress and, and all the people that are like stimulating the economy, the fact that they have not already, you know, talked about these things is like it's incredibly concerning because it's just it's blatantly obvious i mean i said this months ago when this whole thing started you know um it's definitely a big issue that you know congress you know you talk about the stimulus for just everyone everyone that's working you know just the everyday citizens but you think of how much all the economies in all these college towns rely upon all the sports, you know, like that, it's going to be the major devastation. Yeah. No, it's, it's going to be an impact that we're going to feel for quite some time. And, you know, I think that, you know, I know UVA reported, uh, I want to say two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right, Chris. I I saw them report. I just, to me, I I feel like it's going to be, give it a couple weeks. And I think they're eventually going to say, the commissioners recently are talking like they're going to move it to spring because they want to see how the NFL handles it. I'm like, I don't, I mean, everyone is just trying to pass the hot potato, Chris, you know, no one really wants to like, you know, just accept the reality that you want to post. There's really no like great way to deal with it, you know, but um, yeah, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. It's just, it's just a lot of unknowns. I'm, yeah, that's a scary part, too. Yeah. You know, Chris, you know, one guy who just retired recently, and I want to talk to you about him. I meant to talk to Wally Lundy about him, but I want to hear your thoughts on Vince Carter and his basketball career because uh, I loved watching VC play over the years. I want to hear about your 
memories of Vince Carter's top dunks. To me, I'm a, some of the number one, like I look at these lists of Vince Carter's top dunks, and when I see number one, I don't see the Team USA dunk over <laughs> Frederick Von Weiss when VC. He, dra- he dragged his nuts on top of that guy's head and du- yeah. like clear a seven footer to jump over a seven footer and dunk on him the way that he did. And he right. was swinging his fist in yeah. the air and he almost punched Kevin Garnett so hard in the face after that. Yeah, yeah he did. And, and fortunately for me, I mean, Vince Carter was, I mean, he was he, he was a game changer when it came to playing above the rim. Um, I think that you know, for me, yeah, the the the, the U.S. the Team USA dunk when he jumped over the seven footer was huge. Um, but for me, you know, we used to play a lot of basketball on like lowered rims so we can like dunk on each other um, and have you know dunk contests and things of that nature. And you know, I know you remember the Vince Carter dunk contest when you know he did the three sixty windmill and then he did the arm in the rim. You know, I think that those for for somebody who, you know, ducking and and playing, you know, basically in Vince Carter type of air up there, you know, with the rim being low, I think that those dunks alone, everybody tried. You know, it was something that, you know, dunk contest back then was must-see TV. You know, Vince Carter was, you know, must-see. I mean, he had some in-game, you know, alley-oop windmill dunks that were just ridiculous. You know, he's always been electrifying to watch and I think you know one of the things that people don't really notice or realize about Vince Carter is he's you know top 10 maybe even top five now and three three pointers made you know throughout his career you know so not only was he dunking on people he was still knocking down three so you know hats off to Vince Carter I think that he's you know he's definitely one of those people where you can't talk about dunks in the NBA and not mention Vince Carter you know it's just He's one of those guys, kind of like like Randy Moss in football. Like you can't talk wide receivers and dunking on people on the football field without talking Randy Moss. And I think it's the same with Vince Carter on the basketball court. Absolutely, dude. Vince Sanity. That that dunk contest, the three sixty windmill, man. I mean, that was. <laughs> I it's one of those moments where if you're a sports a big sports fan, you know where you were. When you saw that, like, I was just like, holy shit. Like, yeah, that's dude. When he was, yeah, that's B- when he knew he was there. BC, I mean, just being able to spin like that in the air. You know, I was fascinated watching. I love watching Team USA basketball because I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not the hugest LeBron fan, and I'm not mm-hmm. the hugest Mellow fan, but... On Team USA, I love watching all those guys work together because they work like, you know, Carmelo Anthony, to me, I'll tell you about Carmelo. Carmelo, to me, when that guy had, when his head hits his pillow, once he's done with his NBA career, you can legitimately ask that guy, like, did you absolutely leave it all on the floor? And you, and you look at his Team USA tape and you'll say no, because... Yeah. He he played such good defense on Team USA, and he rebounded. It's like mellow. Like you, you have no interest in those things. But Team USA basketball is always so much fun to watch, dude. But Carmelo, LeBron, 
And I remember the Redeem team, man, watching watching Kobe with D. Wade and LeBron. And when when Kobe hit that three against Spain in Spain, and, and not only that, he hit him with the silencer after he hit it. I was like, dude, I love you forever for that. That was so sweet. Yeah, we 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 lost one we lost one of the greatest for Kobe and you know, I think that his his approach to the game was contagious, man. Like a lot of people just, you know, his intensity is what I feel like what's needed in the, in the NBA today. You know, just somebody who's willing to compete, you know, at that level day in day out. You know, I think I think the game's missing it. And you know, yeah, those NBA those those dream teams, I think they're doing something way different with it now. You know, a lot of the superstars aren't even playing, but you know, it's uh, I think they didn't get blown out. I think they got blown out this year. I th- I think you're right. I- I'd have to look back at it because you know sometimes not all the guys go to play the the FIBA games that are like a year before the Olympics. But yeah, I, I re- I'll never forget the look on Allen Iverson's face when when they when they get a bronze, they got a bronze, and AI was so pissed, man. The look on his face, he's just like, I'm never gonna hear the end of this, you know, like. Allen Iverson was so salty. No, nah, I believe it, man. I think, you know, he's one of those people, too. He just want to compete, want to win. You know, he really, he's not really into the, you know, I guess the sideline antics. He's just trying to, you know, lace him up and see who's the best. You know, and, you know what? Yeah, keep, right? keep going. Keep going. No, no, no. That was it. That was it. You know, Allen Iverson, have you watched Allen Iverson's high school highlights, Chris? He was one of the best. Yeah. Virgi- his Virginia high school football highlights are incredible. Yeah, he's, he's, he was, uh, you know, I wonder what he would have been at quarterback, man. You think about his, his elusive, you know, his elusiveness. You know, they were talking about him as a DB as well. I mean, you know, Allen Iverson, I could see that being a real problem out here at corner, you know, for a opposing court or a receiver because you know he's going to be fast and then, you know, he's going to be quick as well. So, I mean, that's going to be a tough matchup. You know, I, you know, a lot of these players, you know, we're, you know, multi-sport athletes in, in high school, you know, some in college. And I'm just, you know, I'm always curious to see, like, you know, what if LeBron would have played tight end, you know, at Ohio State or something and then went into the league. I mean, we're talking 6'8", you know, 260, you know, really out here just barreling down on people, you know, dunking on people in the red zone. I mean, that's a pretty, that's pretty nasty thing. Yeah, you know, um, Allen Iverson, like, his, his uh, heart, you know, if you can measure heart, he would certainly be uh top 10 all time. And uh, that guy, like his, his uh, practice, his practice rant was always one of my favorites. We talking about practice, man. <laughs> yeah, no, that was <laughs> <laughs> only, only, only AI in those days, man. We'll tell you, we'll shoot it to you straight like that. Only AI. The way he, the way he left it out, all out on the floor, every single Every single game, you know, I will forever respect Allen Iverson for that. You know, some people, I mean, sure, you know, he hogged the ball a lot, but it's like, you know, when you're the best player on your team, you kind of have to, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, he had, he, it's like he had yeah. Eric Snow, you know, <laughs> like. Exactly. You know, he took that 60 team to the finals, which was crazy. I think he got 40 in game two or something like that. I mean, come on now. You gotta let AI, you gotta let AI do AI. He's the reason they got you there. So, yeah. Who were who were some of the best corners that uh, you faced during your football career, Chris? Uh, yeah. So 
um, on the team, I feel like, you know, on the team, you know, we played against, I played against a bunch um, between, uh, you know, Chris Cook coming in um, on the team. You know, he was, he was solid at corner. Uh, Rashad Dolan was solid at corner. Uh, Chase Manyfield was solid at corner, you know, so. What about other guys, other, uh, other players on other teams in the ACC? I think my first real matchup, you know, was Darius Butler out of UConn. Um, you know, when he was there, I mean, he was pretty, he was pretty locked down. Um, Xavier Rhodes uh, down at Florida State um, was probably, I would say, my toughest matchup uh, coming out of high school um, because he was so long. Like, he was, you know, 6'2", long arms, quick, you know, played into the boundary, so he didn't have to cover much ground. Um, but, yeah, I would, I would have to say Xavier Rhodes is probably the toughest matchup coming out of college. Um, everybody else, you know, I, I felt like I had their number. You know, they, the best way to put it, you know, I felt like they had their number. So, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, I definitely would say, would say those two guys. Yeah, you you certainly had a lot of people's uh, numbers throughout your Virginia career. You know, one thing Bill Lazor commented on <clears throat> in the Georgia Tech game in t- 2011, after that Georgia Tech game, he commented on your blocking in that game and how how awesome of a blocker you were. Um, is that something that you really worked on throughout your Virginia football career? I know I read a quote from you how you said your brothers really would like be really rough with you like when you were growing up, and that was like you were always just kind of tough. That was kind of like your thing. So uh, yeah, talk about that yeah. a little bit. No, you hit it. You hit it on the nail. You know, for me, um, I grew up, I had two older brothers, um, and I was the youngest boy. Um, and, you know, we used to always play outside in the neighborhood. And, you know, really just stay outside as much as we could just to, you know, get out the house, play football, basketball, baseball, whatever the case may be. Um, so from a toughness standpoint, you know, me and my older brother used to, you know, fight, wrestle, you know, argue over just about everything on a daily basis. You know, it was it was seldom that a day would go by when we didn't get into some type of tussle or, or altercation. So for me, you know, I always kind of grew up really having to, to fight and scratch and claw for what I felt like, you know, I deserved. Um, so, you know, for me in sports, you know, I really just translated that into, you know, every, you know, every battle was a battle that I'm going to win. So whether it was a run play, whether it was a pass play, I knew what my responsibility was and I knew that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to lose. So if I had to, you know, push crack on the safety, you know, I'm going to push crack on the safety. I'm not going to miss. I'm not going to whiff. I'm not going to give them anything to look at on family and be like, okay, you didn't do your job. You know, so for me, you know, I always took pride in being a physical player. Um, Number one, because that's all I know. But number two, you know, I think as a group, as the wide receivers group, you know, as I started, you know, getting older in my career, I made sure that, you know, we were going to be the most physical group on the field. Um, and you know, what better way to really impose your will, um, than to put somebody on the ground, you know, on a run play, you know, so for me, you know, and the group as a whole, we take pride, we took pride in, you know, really establishing our will, um, and, and making teams understand, like, you're going to have to account for us in the running game. Uh, we're not doing any runoffs. We're going to get right in your face. So I took pride in that. And you know, Chris, the shrieking lawn all decade team. Did you did you actually uh, see that recently that you got named to the shrieking lawn all decade team? 
No, I didn't see that, man. Where'd you see that at? I'll I'll have to send you the link. Um, Shrieking Lawan actually made an all-decade team, and they they named you on their list of receivers. You're on there as well as Hasis Dubois and Alameda Zacchaeus. And I was like, that's that's pretty cool, man, because uh, you're definitely one of the all-time greats in, in Virginia football history. There's no question about it. So. I was pretty. I was pretty happy that they honored you with that. I'll I'll have to send you the link to that. No, that'll be sweet, man. I, I definitely have no regrets in my time at UVA. And like I said earlier, when we were talking about college choices, I think that for me, it was a no-brainer. Um, and you know, if anybody asked, it was the greatest time. You know, I could have had, you know, in the college experience and being in that college town. And I, you know, I love everything about UVA. What are your? <clears throat> what are you doing now, job-wise, Chris? Yeah, so I actually transitioned. I work in the, in the IT field um, as an enterprise account rep uh, for Verizon uh, Business. Uh, so, you know, fortunately for me, you know, my mom was the IT director for, you know, one of the towns local here in, in Central Virginia. Um, so her, you know, her wanting to know and, you know, knowledge in the IT space kind of piqued my interest. Um, so once I, uh, once I, you know, left New York, left the Jets and, and moved down to DC for a little bit, you know, I, I, I wanted to get into the IT field. So I started, um, you know, in the IT sales and just kind of worked my way up through the ladder. So now as being a senior, senior enterprise rep, uh, for Verizon business, you know, really handling, you know, the Virginia, North Carolina accounts, uh, you know, some of the largest customers for Verizon. So I mean, it's great, man. I love what I do. Um, you know, it's a lot different than, you know, running routes and catching passes, but, you know, it definitely challenged me in the same, you know, to make sure that, you know, I'm performing at the highest level that I can. That's awesome, Chris. Um, who, who all of your old teammates, uh, do you keep in touch with the most? Uh, well, I keep in touch with a, with a, with a bunch, man. I, you know, Tim Smith, uh, we, we, you know, we keep, we keep in touch pretty, uh, Pretty frequently, Maximilian, uh, Dom Joseph, uh, Rodney McLeod. Rodney McLeod. You know, you mentioning Rodney, I tell you, man, Rodney McLeod, I'm so happy that he's done so well in the NFL. But I'll be honest, Chris, I never would have imagined him doing as well as he has. You know, like, that's just the honest, like, opinion. Like, I figured he was going to get a shot, you know, for sure. But, man... He has improved so much throughout his whole NFL career. Like, I'm just so happy for Rodney McLeod because, I mean, he was a, he was a great player at Virginia. But man, I never would have guessed for him to be as good and for as long as he has. I mean, good for him. Yeah, no, he he definitely be. He was one of my old my old roommates um, during my last year there at UVA. So you know, we we got a lot closer um, during that last that last year. Um, but you know, his work ethic, work, work ethic, um, was, you know, bar none. Um, and you know, I, you know, I knew that, you know, all he needed was an opportunity. I think that, you know, he was definitely a, you know, well-rounded football player. Um, and he, he's, you know, he's, he's going to continue to kind of let the naysayers know, well, he can ball, you know, he's, he's had a great career thus far and I'm excited to see what he brings, you know, to the table next year. Um, which I'm sure he's going to deliver again, you know. So yeah, he's uh, it's it's a it's a it's a warming story, you know, to hear people, um, you know, kind of oversee some of the expectations. But I'm sure, you know, it's right in line to where he figured he would be, 
um, you know, coming out of college. So, yeah, you know, hats pretty, pretty impressive NFL career out of Rodney McLeod. I mean, we always, he's always making plays every single year, man. Like he is just a beast. That's the name of the game. And he's always been like a ball hawk and, you know, really been a student of the game. So, you know, you give him a scouting report and some film, you're going to have a problem on your hands, you know, come game day. So, again, hats off to Rodney, you know, holding it down. Yeah, that's funny, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today to uh, talk to me, Chris. I really appreciate you spending spending the time on my podcast. And uh, it's been awesome to talk with a Cavalier football legend, man. You guys, you all put so much hard work, effort, and blood, sweat, and tears into the program. It's, uh, it's just great to share all these memories with you guys from a, from a diehard college football fan like myself. No, man, I, I can't thank you enough for having me, Wade. And, and one of the things, you know, I, I definitely wish I would have had a better chance to say was, you know, I appreciate all of the, you know, the support, you know, you you inviting me out. You know, the fans definitely made it all worthwhile, you know, those two-a-days and, you know, just, you know, when you come to the hotel in, in Wyoming or wherever you see UVA flag, it really does, you know, lift the spirit and, and make you feel like you're right back at home, so. You know, from all the players, you know, to the fans, man, we definitely appreciate it. That's awesome, Chris. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on? Uh, I mean, for me, man, I, like I said, I definitely wish you had me back. You know, I think it was uh, it's a great conversation. And y'all love talking football, man. So, you know, for me, you know, I appreciate it again. You know, thanks for having me. And, you know, I'm sure as the, as the world turns, you know, there'll be uh, some more topics for us to cover down in the near future. <laughs> all right. <laughs> thanks a lot, Chris. Really appreciate you coming on, my man. All the best to you. Take care in New Jersey, my man. Yeah, same to you. Have a great one. See ya. Bye. to the flow theory podcast you can listen to our podcast on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher spotify and tune in